Hey, everybody. Welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet podcast. This season, we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Hey, Ashley. Hi, Will. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I think it's going to rain. <gasps> this early? I know. It's just, it's awfully gray and a little windy. And we had some trimmers, like we had five trimmers in one day last week. And so the, you know, the old folks are saying rainy season's coming. That's why it's trembling. So interesting. First rain since December. Wow. So that's really early because usually when I come in March, it Mm -hmm. rains. It finally kicks off rainy season the week after I leave. So when I'm there is like sweat your skin off a week and then the rain comes. So, wow, this would be incredible. Yeah, we'll see. And it might just be a joke and it'll still be sweat your skin off while you're here. We'll see. Okay. (laughs) Well, I hope for another earthquake while I'm there. That'd just be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they were in the kind of the five point something range, which that's getting close to the point where some people start to feel a little nervous. So Mm -hmm. my my daughter included, they teach children, you know, you guys uh, and I grew up doing tornado drills Mm -hmm. at school, you know, where you go in the hall and crouch down with your head against the wall and all that kind of stuff. Um, They do earthquake drills here and so the third time it trembled she said dad we need to go outside so we did we went and sat outside for a while and then when she was satisfied we went back in and finished watching star wars you are such a good father you were such a good father to to hear what because we're watching star wars well, no. Well, that too. I mean, you need to expose her to what is important in life, and that is Star Wars. But, um, but when she expresses an anxiety or a fear, you you take that into consideration. You listen to it, and you act um, appropriately, and 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 sit with her. So that what a great way of abiding with your daughter, Will. Well, I mean, I grumbled and rolled eyes my eyes at her before we went outside. But but you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. So how are you? I'm good. I like your new swag. Is that one of the new uh, logo hats you have on? Merch. We have merch. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like them. I like the hats, and people seem to like the hats. And I like the fact that when people ask me, hey, where can I get one of those? My answer is, you got to come and get it. I loved that. I saw your comment on Facebook about that. So you had uh, Carrie Irvin, who did the uh, concept of Mino Missions and our website. You had her recreate the website for Costa Rica Mission Projects and do all of the logo. That's great. Yep. The website is almost finished. Hey, Molly. Molly, it's been a while since you've been on an episode of The Broken Bank. Welcome back. The UPS man is here, <laughs> and oh, she yeah. hates the UPS man. Yeah, we're not supposed to schedule interviews during UPS time. 
I'll have you know, I just finished listening to the uh, the latest episode of Smartless, and they were interviewing Natalie Portman, and she left the interview twice because of the UPS man who was at her door. So Molly, we are you are not. If Natalie Portman can do it, you are not going to get in trouble for derailing our podcast because of UPS. <laughs> and the UPS man is at the door. Thanks for keeping Ashley safe, Molly. Where were we? <laughs> uh, I don't remember, but why don't we just move right along to uh, who are we interviewing today, Ashley? Oh, we are interviewing uh, just a really great guy. And it's so fun how this connection happened. We interviewed David McCormick last year for the podcast on, on season one. And his wife, Elizabeth, reached out to me and said, Ashley, you know who you need to talk to? You need to talk to Willie Berman. And I've met Willie a couple of times here in Louisiana. And Willie is a missionary with the General Board of Global Ministries of the United Methodist Church. And he is actually from Mexico and is serving his home country uh, as the Mexican Methodist Border Mission Coordinator. That's That's a mouthful. So without further ado, meet Guillermo, otherwise known as Willie Bourbon. Does anybody really call him Guillermo? No, probably not. Okay. Willie, we're so glad to have you on the podcast today. I'm going to let Will lead for just a few minutes. Y'all can talk in Spanish and then I'll come back in. I mean, we'll just let it we'll just let it roll and Willie, would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are and where you are? I understand you're in a public library right now, but let's go a little deeper than that. Tell our listeners who you are, Willie. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity of this interview. I really enjoy discussing or telling you about everything that we're doing in this part of the north border of Mexico, close to the Gulf. That's where we are in the uh, Reynosa Mexico that borders with McAllen, Texas. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the the geographical area that I am. And uh, my name is Guillermo. I use Willie as my nickname, so I don't have to spell Guillermo to every other American I, I met. I meet. Uh, but I've, I've been. A, I'm a third generation Methodist. My grandma, and then my father, and then now myself have been in the Methodist Church of Mexico and uh, actively working, and and lately, since my father uh, was a lay pastor, we started working with the missions field in our own communities, in our own city, and now I'm working in three different cities on the border, but I'm, I'm happily married to my wife, Veronica, and we have two children. They're all are adults now, and since... They were very little. We got involved. And I basically started with the invitation from the Louisiana Conference and the Texas Conference. As they heard, I was kind of doing some volunteer work with the West Ohio Conference mission teams. So they approached me and said, Willie, can you uh, help, help us do some missions coordination? And I didn't really know what they were talking about. So I say yes. And because in our culture, when somebody asks you for something, you say yes. 
<laughs> and uh, that was part of the beginning. But in this part of uh, Mexico, being on the border, the culture is different than the rest of Mexico. And I'll get a little bit more, I'll give you a little bit more about that later. But mm -hmm. in this scenario of receiving mission teams and working with them was part of how I got initiated in the missions field that I am now. Today, I'm on my 14th year with Global Ministries as a full-time missionary. And so I know a lot of people uh, with Global Ministries. I know a lot of people in the U.S. churches that have partnered with us. And my journey has been a great experience of meeting uh, leaders and pastors and, and mission teams that have come to our area. So you have something in common, uh, Guillermo and Will, uh, that you're both super involved. So Will is a United Methodist volunteer and mission independent volunteer, independent missioner serving in San Isidro de El General, Costa Rica. And then Willie, uh, Guillermo, you are also involved with the global board of, um, or the general board of global ministries serving in Mexico. Oh, how about that? Connections all over the place. I love it. Yes. yes. And, and that, that has been one of the best things that has happened in our ministry. You know, all these connections, you know, when you go to a different city, a different church, and you just tell them you're with the Methodist church. You know, they open their doors for you, and that's that's what that's been phenomenal. So, how did you get from the place of being the son of a pastor, son of a missionary, to what you're doing now? It was quite interesting that uh, I was telling you I was not happy. I was not happy with uh, my church, my local church, and I was not happy with my work, my secular work. So it was not a crisis. It was just like I was looking for some uh, more uh, meaningful uh, way of doing things. And by watching, this is the key part that, that touched my heart, by watching the mission teams coming to our area and working in the colonias or the poor areas uh, with the people, that was, that was the, the impressive thing. That was something that, I said, we need to do that. We, the Church of Mexico, we need to do that. That's, that's the key to being out there in the community. So we got excited about that, but I didn't know exactly how, how it worked, you know? So when there has been many mission teams coming to the border of Mexico for years, but mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it was a, uh, there was like a boom in our area of mission teams. And the Louisiana Conference and the Texas Conference was looking to establish their volunteers and mission program on a more permanent basis. So I was a rookie working with some teams from Ohio that asked me to work during a summer with them because I speak the, lang the language, I speak English. And I was able to communicate and send emails. And I thought that was easy. But then they say, okay, so hold on. We'll get back to you. And they came back to me with 
uh, 12 teams the first year and then 24 the second year. And then many other teams that were uh, hearing that there was a coordinator on the Mexican side and that we were able to find a place for them uh, in a church, in a Methodist church to, to stay and then people preparing the meals for them. And that was a, a, a big blessing by not having to go across for the mission team across the border every day. So being in Mexico, staying in Mexico, and have the, the sites where they're going to be working and the construction materials and the project ready, uh, that was uh, a big hit, you know? And, and so from, from working part-time one year, I decided that it needed to be a full-time job. So I took that step of uh, starting to coordinate the mission teams and being paid a commission per team and no no other salary, that was kind of my big leap on faith about, you know, this is going to be uh, something that we need to develop. So we, we started working. We found some sponsors. And then by being an engineer by trade, you know, I had, I had a little education on how to do the projects. And uh, the passion, that was the key part. Because even still, when I was a rookie and not and making some mistakes, the passion to partner with the mission teams was there. And that has been, over the years, something that I have been able to develop. And uh, I remember by saying that I was not happy with my church, one of my uh, first phrases was, don't take your hammer back with you meaning leave the tools so we can do some of the work. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it developed to the empowerment that we needed to do on a more local basis so we can create the culture. Oh boy, culture. That was a big thing that I didn't know it was so different. Because of my education, because of my ability to communicate, I thought it was going to be an easy step to overcome the culture. So on the first years of my career as a missionary, uh, coordinating mission teams, I thought it was going to be easier for the Mexican church to take part and participate with the mission teams uh, probably before, during, and after. That was not the case. The Mexican people needed to be paid so they can do some of the work. So that was that was the first challenge that I think I had to digest. You know, how do we get the Church of Mexico involved if they need to be paid? Some of the men, some of the women need to be paid to do this mission work. So a system got in place, and so we got some people involved on how we can coordinate as a team, not just like one person. So that was part of the first years of my experience. It was not an easy way. The partnership idea was not there. Mm -hmm. We were also always uh, hearing churches in Mexico saying, so the team is coming, 
the team is going to do this, and then we're going to wait until the next team comes back and continues the work. Mm-hmm. It was not like, let's partner. They're going to do some of the work. We are going to do some of the work. So that was a challenge. And still, for some people and some churches, that is still the challenge that we face. Uh, over the years, I've been able to develop a little different uh, system or culture for some of the churches that we work with. So that has been part of the uh, journey, uh, again, uh, of this. I have a question, Willie, about something you said in regards to getting the local churches involved was needing to find money to pay people from the church to help out. Is that a legal thing or was it just a, a culture and kind of a, it's always been done this way kind of thing? Here in Costa Rica, it, that's a legal thing. That you, There's no such thing as a Costa Rican volunteer. Any work you do, you have to be compensated for it, which means we have a staff here that is on our payroll and that's the primary contact that our volunteers have on the work sites is with our staff. But it's not because people don't want to come and help out. It's just it's a legal issue. And I, I can't afford to pay everybody from a local church that wants to come and help you know mix concrete one day. Is it the same kind of thing? Is that the issue that you're dealing with? Basically, yes. Well, when we started, we only had admission teams over a weekend. So it was basically two days of my people my Mexican people working with the mission teams. So we will pay them for just those two days. And then we will have to wait and maybe hire someone to prepare the next project for for the next mission team. But yes, the volunteer culture is not here yet. And on the Mexican border, there are so many jobs available. That's the other part on the Mexican side that people can find a job and get get paid and so they don't have to go and find or wait for someone to volunteer and, and and then be paid for doing that kind of the work so yes it was a challenge and then we have only women and maybe the pastor helping but that was the start of this so when we started it was basically just a relationship for two days with the church then continue the project for a few months and then move to another church, move to other people that will come and help. Uh, but but that is right to get an, an ongoing, a more professional ministry. You need to have employees. You need to have people that uh, are there. Well, actually, I think it's interesting. You know, it's it's natural for us to be concerned about. The, the the North American volunteers on that side of the relationship, sort of breaking them out of that mentality of we go on mission trips to do everything, right? We have what they need, so we're going to go give it to them. But we also need to consider that the other side of that coin is if that's what people in the communities that our teams are going into have always, if that's the only way they've ever experienced what missional relationships are, that's going to be their expectation too, because that's what they've been taught. And so, I mean, what a what a a heavy load for you, Willie, to have to lift to reteach all of these churches that no, this, that's not what this is supposed to look 
this may be what it's always looked like, but it's not what it's supposed to look like. And actually, when we were talking a few episodes ago about Haiti, and you mentioned how lucrative it kind of is for people who run orphanages and the status that comes with that. And so for them to move away from an orphanage model to a, a health, a sustainable family model, I mean, that's sort of, that's a financial sacrifice in the long run for that person. And I can see how if you've got a ch- church culture where historically there've been some benefits, some financial benefits to having these relationships where they're sending money or they're sending building materials or they're sending you a car or you know, whatever the need might be for you, Willie, to have to come into that and say, well, well hang on a second. Actually, there's a better way to go about this that's going to be healthier for the church in the long run, but it might mean some sacrificing for you, leader, who have always been sort of the the beneficiary of that kind of unhealthy relationship. Is that, I mean, am I right? Is that a challenge for you to get people to rethink and let go of some of that stuff? Of course. And I, I go back to, you. you do remember when there was another movement on the mission field and the way of thinking and books like uh, When Helping Hurts or Toxic Charity. Toxic Charity. And then thinkers. There were some people in the Methodist church that started to think. And I got this lesson, uh, as you were saying, uh, we were, I was in a meeting with, uh, I don't know, 11 uh, volunteers and mission leaders of their annual conferences and they invited me and in one of the devotionals they uh the leader mentioned about the part of the bible where it says like jesus was sending his disciples you like sheeps among wolves but the the comment was that sometimes the wolf is the mission coordinator and i was like oh yeah thank you <laughs> and I and they they gave a description of in the mission field of the profile of the mission coordinator, and he was an educated person, so there was a a check box for me right there, and then there was a managing the language, another check on the box, and then there was that know both cultures, and I by being raised on the Mexican border, I was able to go back and forth to the U.S. And I feel like, you know, there's no difference for me, but just waiting in line to get across from one country to the other one. But I know the Mexican culture. I know the U.S. culture. I change when I go to one culture and I change my habits when I go to the other culture. So so those were some of the uh, uh, Qual, um, qualifications that that I can be in the middle of the poor people of Mexico, uneducated, and then with the U.S. mission team's leadership or the resources that come with it. So being in the middle, you become the ones that you will tell someone on one side what they want to hear, and you tell the other ones on the other side about what they want to hear. So it was explained to me in my process of this journey and this education, how important the role 
of the missions coordinator is. So I realized that's why there are many American people coordinating mission teams in other countries mm-hmm. and many and very few local people coordinating mission teams to, to his own community. So it was a challenge. It was a risk for me to, to be in, like being the, the recipient of these resources and then talking to pastors and leaders in the local church that they don't understand or they were expecting some other things, like when are they coming to fix our roofs? Uh, and we're not fixing the roof until they come back. Uh, things like that to say, oh, Willie, you have all the power to tell them that. Yeah. Okay. I know that you're laughing because that's exactly what, true. what we experience. And, and that part of the, that part of the learning process was, was in the middle of my career. Cause at one point I was serving the mission teams when I started. I wanted them to be happy. I wanted them to be comfortable and I wanted them to be okay with everything that I was doing. With all of this process and all of this new thinking about empowerment and about being transparent and and about we become the leaders of our own mission projects, it was also like, the re-education of both sides. So you're going to come and work with me and, and not, and not uh, uh, for me or for them. But also it was like, how can we get, and this is what I think I've been a little bit more, I'm going to use the word, successful on, on learning that we need to be more self-sufficient. And, and that has been my desire for many years. But at some point, it was like, how can we do that? And being self-sufficient, I use the analogy uh, when I talk to churches or people about the college kid. You're in your culture. I tell them, I, I have seen that you send your kids to college. So you support them for four years. And when they get out of college, you kick them out of the house. That's kind of what, <laughs> a kind of a way to say it. You, but it is for you to expect for your children to be self-sufficient after you have provided them the tools for success. You have provided them education. You have provided them uh, all their resources that they need. And then after four for five years, they need to start paying their own bills. And and uh, that's where I am now. In this part of my ministry, with Global Ministries and with the Methodist Church of Mexico, we have been working on making that uh, a lot of our programs self-sufficient. And that has mm-hmm. been the new challenge. That has been the new ways of partnering. I was just going to let me make one comment well before you jump in. I was going to say that in my travels around the world, there is a very big difference between a translator and an interpreter. A translator translates the language. They can tell you what the other person said. The interpreter tells you what the person said, but also interprets it to what the culture is too. 
to give you the actual true meaning of what that person said. And Willie, that's definitely needed on both ends so that you can interpret for the North Americans coming to Mexico and for the Mexicans interacting with the North Americans. Oh, and that was when I was invited to Costa Rica by the church here, it was to do, it was to be sort of a bridge like you are, Willie, between these partners. And I can remember, gosh, hearing you talk about that, just it took me back to 2004. And we we had a church that reached out to us and said, you know, we understand that you're going to be coordinating things in Costa Rica. We've been going to Costa Rica kind of on our own for the last few years to a particular church that happened to be in the area where I was going to be working and said, last year, things just got out of control. And, you know, people were like buying appliances for people. And it was just like they were walking ATM machines was kind of what it had turned into in this community. And that had become the expectation from the church was it was just going to be Christmas when the, you know, the group gets here. And they said, we will, we would like to come back and work in that community again, but we really need your help sort of getting things under control, which was fine. I was happy to do it. Uh, I wanted to see them continue to build those relationships in that place, but it turned me into the least popular person <laughs> in that community because when they came back the following year, the expectation was, here we go again. And instead, every time someone uh, asked for something, the response they got from the team was, we, we need you to talk to Will about that. We need you to talk to Will about that. We need you to talk to... And my response was, that's not what they're here for. Um, there were some needs that the church had, and I was working with the leadership of the church to make sure that those needs were being met. But it was a completely different thing, and it, it made a lot of people unhappy which isn't their fault because that's what they had been taught was that that's what this relationship means. And so that was the expectation. But for me as the new guy <laughs> to have to be the one putting a stop to all of that was a, it, I mean, it was a burden for me. And uh, I'm sure there's still people in that community that probably aren't real happy with me. I, I can feel your pain there for sure. And, and I think in the long run, you know, we know that what we're trying to do is get all of the partners to a better place than, than where they are, if that's the expectation from one side or the other. The church realized, the church in the U.S. realized how unhealthy it was first. And so then the, the work became convincing the local church here how unhealthy that is as well. Mm -hmm. And you're right. If you can, if you can do that by empowering the local church to start doing things on their own and when they can start seeing that, Hey, we're actually capable of doing this. We do have gifts and talents and resources that if, you know, with the right kind of encouragement, we, we don't need the gringos to come down here and do everything. Then what you find is, is a much more healthy balanced relationship for everybody. And, uh, you know, from on, on my experience, being the one telling an American person you're wrong, that was against my culture. <laughs> right. You know? Oh, yeah. So, so, so it was like you, you, I was committing a sin of being too proud or being too 
too arrogant. You know, you're just like, uh, you're almost insulting the, the mission people that have come to help us. And, 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 and for me to tell them, we can do some of these things, it, they were like, no, you can't. You know, you don't have the resources, you don't have the expertise, uh, and the, you're still doing things wrong. And so that was a challenge. Uh, we started, I, I started partnering with other mission teams that they didn't hear what we were saying. And they were coming to build casitas or little houses to the border of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And and it was a good product to sell. Still yeah. is. Still is. Oh, yeah. Because in three or four days, you can have a picture and then you can say under the picture, we changed the life of this family. Right. Well, that's a good marketing tool and a good lie because we were not changing anything in that family but a new little roof uh, and and um, and that was so hard for me to tell uh team leaders still is still is to tell some of them that they they just want to come and do their 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 mission yeah w- without understanding what what we are trying to do and um some of the new pastors are are getting you know, some of the younger pastors, but the uh, the older pastors that I grew up with, they were hard to convince that that's what we needed to change in our in our mission field. So, about twelve years ago, I I became the first first Mexican director of this ministry that was started in our area. Uh, it was started by the Oklahoma Conference, which are still supporting us and we have been on this journey together and we have been changing some of the mindsets and we started to receive more mission teams and then we had the violence in Mexico in our area and 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 then other things but we learned we learned that we had to create ministries that will be self-sufficient mm-hmm. so so we started looking into uh, how do we do this? And today, I can tell you that we have some ministries that are uh, having a business component to it. And so we're making our own money and we're saying, uh, we're discussing, okay, how do we use the money that we make? Mm-hmm. And uh, in our last board meeting, uh, I presented a formula where some of the money is going to be used to sponsor Mexican mission teams to go out of their church in our area, geographical Mexican area, and we're going to sponsor part of it, uh, or part of the mission cost, so we can be active in mission as local churches to one to another. And I think that's how it started. Uh, 30 years ago by having some volunteers going to another church uh, locally and then it, it extended um, by, by uh, to another state and then to another country mm-hmm. and and uh, Mexico has been in some of this in, in many other things a little bit behind uh, the US and now I think is the time the time is coming where 
we're going to have Mexican mission teams from one church going to serve somewhere else. Now, with some sponsorship that that Manos Juntas, the ministry that I'm the director of, hands together, is going to provide. We're going to provide some money for the mission, a transportation, uh, some gas, so there will end tools. So there will be no excuses for some of the people to go and do the work and say, oh, this is what everything is about. <laughs> well, and how beautiful is that, Willie? Because Acts 1-8, as Will tells me all the time, Acts 1-8 says to go to your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that was not written just for North Americans or just for United States of Americans or just Louisianans. It was written for every single disciple of Christ to go and serve in your Jerusalem, your hometown, serve in your Judea, your bigger community, serve in Samaria, the places you might not want to go, serve into the ends of the earth all over the world. Willie, you're leading it. You're leading the charge for your, for the people you call family. It's it's been a it's been a long journey in some some areas. It has been a talking and not being liked by some people. Uh, discussing this with uh, even with your own family, and and say this is what needs to happen. And uh, even when we don't see the progress, one of the areas that we want to focus on now is young adults in Mexico. Uh, the new generations, the new, I don't know how you call them, millennials or Generation yep. Z or whatever, they need to get their own on board on these on this new projects. So on the business sides that we have been creating, it's, it's not just a business. Uh, let me mention that we have opened a, a medical clinic that we charge for our services. And then the money that we get for the ministry, we're using it to continue doing other ministries. The same thing with uh, projects that we're just about to open. Uh, one of them, it's a daycare where we're going to be charging to take care of the children. Uh, and I'm going to just mention that it's not just the business, but we're creating jobs for the local people. But also at five o'clock, I'm just using that time zone, uh, whatever. It, it, at five o'clock, when they come and pick up their children at the daycare, we're gonna have a program for the young uh, young moms and and uh, well, all the people that come in to pick up the children and say, "Come, have a little snack, and let me tell you about healthy, or let me uh, tell you about uh, some educational things." but also some counseling, some of the, uh, to introduce them to to our Lord and say, you know, this is a way of uh, our faith. And uh, uh, we're opening a pizza place because uh, I say in Mexico, we like tortillas, but we also like pizza. Absolutely. Well, for us, it's just a big tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> So, so in our projects, it's like set up businesses and then use that model to go into the community. So it's not just to sell the pizza, but to go with some pizzas to a school and, and use that as a, a, as a key to get into the school class 
and then share with the class what our ministry is doing in the community. So, so it's a component of doing our own ministry when mission teams are not here and then be in touch with the community and doing the pizzas. Everybody loves pizzas. Everybody's going to be happy and everybody's going to hear what we are doing in some other things in some other things in our community. <laughs> so Willie, are you finding ways that you can get churches who maybe for a long time were sending teams of volunteers to Mexico to build stuff, to understand that if they would support you in such a way that you can encourage local people to go out into the mission field is just as or better an option um, and, and figuring out ways to, for everyone to be involved. I think to me, that's sort of the ideal is that you don't want to just say to the supporters in the U.S., just send your money so that we can go on mission trips because there's that's not the kind of relationship that, that we want. So are there ways that first you can convince them that the best thing isn't for you to come build something? Second, come and be in the kind of relationship with us here that will allow and encourage your brothers and sisters here to also go to their Jerusalem or Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But let's do that together. Uh, are, are you finding churches that are receptive to that? Is it mostly new churches that maybe don't have that prior experience that they're bringing along with them? What's what's that been like? Well, it's it has been a process. And uh, yes, we are finding new partners and all partners that have said, yes, we have done the mission work. Now we get it. But we are in the process of doing both things. I think where we are is uh, in this geographical area that we are, it's very easy for mission teams to come down because they come, uh, if they fly, they fly domestically. And, and then we cross the border with them. And uh, so it's not that expensive, like to travel international. Um, mm -hmm. And then what we ask them is to come and scout, come and visit, come and check us out before you commit to something. Bringing a mission team is very important because it's a benefit to you. First of all, you know, a mission team gets more benefit from going and then coming back to their local churches um, and then and then just establish the new relationship with our ministries down south. Uh, but you, we invite them to come and see what we're doing and the progress on each of our projects. Um, and then they can say, I know how it can help you better. And, uh, you know, one of the things that everybody knows is that money, 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 money. Everything is it's about money. I'm being su successful because I'm receiving support. I'm receiving mission teams. I'm receiving grants. I'm receiving uh, offerings that help us to continue with our project. And not to discourage or to tell other people, just send your money, but partner with us. And these models, these, these ministries are becoming models that we can duplicate in, in other parts of our area. 
So if I have a pizza place in one city, I can start another pizza place somewhere else under the same terms and conditions, you know? We're going to sell pizzas to, to hire people and, and, and create jobs, but then also we are going to send some of these pizzas to our refugee camps or to our schools uh, or, or to a homeless program. And, and then we can do the business part of it, but also the ministry part of it. And, and not forgetting, of course, never to share the word of God in one way or another. So we're opening a, a couple of pharmacies where we can sell items to the public. And uh, by having people coming to your pharmacy, you can also share a brochure, a, 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 you know, a gospel of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You can share something about nutrition. You can share something about education. So these centers, these small businesses become a community center itself by sharing with the community, not just a thing that we're charging for, but also to share with them some knowledge, some education, some other benefits that they can receive. So yes, we are uh, partnering with churches in the U.S. that are ready to partner with us in, in these new concepts. And uh, in that way, we have received a pizza oven that somebody got for us. Uh, we have received uh, desks and, and computers and chairs and tables uh, that are a donation that we get. Then we get it across into Mexico and that em- empower us to do these projects uh, on a faster way to implement them. Well, Willie, I think what you're speaking of is something that Will loves to talk about is that you have successfully either adapted or transitioned from the project driving your relationship and now you're trying to let the relationships drive any actions that come from that relationship. So you're inviting teams to come to be together, to learn about each other. You're successfully interpreting culture on both ends. And that once a relationship is developed, any actions that come from that, like, oh, I see that you might need a pizza oven because of the great things that you're doing here. That's an, an action that can come from that as opposed from team coming to say, hey, we're just going to build a house for a week, selfie mission, get our, get our little selfie with the, with, the, with the house, with the family, and woohoo, way yay us. And instead, they're developing the relationship with you and with your team at Manos de Juntos. And, and from that comes a relationship of whatever the fruit might look like from there. I love seeing how you've navigated that over the years, Willie. It's a beautiful process. You mentioned refugees, and I know that that's been on our hearts a lot. The last few times I have been to Costa Rica, I see groups of hundreds of people walking the Pan-American Highway, hoping to get to the United States-Mexico border. I'm curious to know what the local churches in your area, how they are responding to that refugee crisis. Yes, thank you. That's a great question. And uh, before I answer that, let me tell you that in this partnership a process, 
we're not only partnering with the U.S. churches or mission teams. We're also looking for local partnership. So we have partnered with Ro Rotary Club in, in our areas. We have partnered with schools and hospitals. And we have partnered with other organizations other organizations in our area. Uh, working together, is, it's a key for our uh, success. We cannot do all things by ourselves. We don't get the resources, but by putting together resources and efforts, Manos Juntas uh, hands together this ministry. Right now, we have over 20 employees or associates that we work with. And then we partner with other city even with the government, the government of Mexico in our local areas have donated land for us so we can build some of our projects. We have been able to build classrooms for the public schools uh, and that have empowered them to have more children to serve more children in our communities. But refugees and, and immigrants, it has been a way different thing for us, especially because of geographical area where we are on the border with the U.S., we receive thousands of immigrants. And to the city and to the local churches, that has been too much. Churches cannot serve all of them or do much for them. And in some cases, the reality is that the cartel people that you know, everybody knows that in Mexico we're fighting all of this uh, scenario of the cartels, and they have not just been dealing with drugs and guns, but now with people. So immigrants has become a mar merchandise for them. So this ministry of serving the the immigrants that come through our border area, it has its its own risk because. Uh, there are other things that we see happening in our areas. And I don't think that's something that a lot of people consider when we when that when those when that's in the news, what you're hearing about is the perspective from the United States, from the northern side of the border, and it's a it's a hot button political issue it's a human rights issue it's there's all kinds of things going on and i don't think many people take the time to consider just how complicated and dangerous and tragic and all of those things that it is on the southern side of the border and ashley's right currently there every week there are groups of Venezuelans who are walking right through the town that I live in. Uh, the Pan American Highway goes right through San Isidro, and there are you know groups of families that are literally walking to the United States with the expectation that they're going to get to the border and arms wide open, they're going to go through and be given a, a job and a home and and a new life and. It's just tragic all the way around. It's tragic and unfortunate that because of the dangers that it presents to you all as a community, what you're able to do to minister to those people is, is limited. This is really, really sad to hear that. 
Well, and, and, and the only thing, uh, you know, is that we have to partner. We have to partner with the government efforts, with the Red Cross efforts, with uh, between our local churches. We have to partner with them and do as much as we can. Uh, a great partnership that we have is with UMCOR, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, we receive some support from UMCOR, and then we can put together in Mexico health kits, and, and then do the distribution of those. It's it's hard for us to bring across a lot of those donations. Uh, we cannot bring across health kits or blankets or other things. It will be just too much. So what we have done is that we receive grants from UMCOR, and then we buy the little things in the local stores, big stores here, and then we take them to the to the places where we need it. All along the border, there are refugees, uh, refugee places for those that are waiting to be here on the U.S. and 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 get some attention to their cases. So so yes, and the only thing that we that we can do is partnering. There is not one ministry that can serve in a big way, you know, uh, to all of these people that come down. But we do what we can. We do what we can, and uh, partnering is the best tool that we have. And I wonder, for those who are listening to this podcast and that the border crisis is on their hearts, that they've been, that this is something that they care for and they've been praying for and they want to help, what is the best way for people to help right now? I I will say, uh, I will honestly say that UMCOR is the best uh, resource that we have for each side of our border we can get some support from umcor and they send us they send us money so we can go ahead and do either food distribution or health kits or other things for the immigrants on the mexican side i know churches in the u.s on the border are doing also a lot of work with our immigrants uh this immigration crisis that we have and it is amazing the partnership that that we do and then the resources that are being done, that are being shared uh, uh, here. So I think the best way is to support UMCOR and it will not just help this border, but it will help many other borders as well. Right. And what I'll do is I, in our show notes, when the podcast comes up, uh, I'll put in the show notes a link to uh, United Methodist Committee on Relief with the exact link for the border and for Manas Juntas um, yes. so that and, they can give to that. Okay. And 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 then, you know, we have a, we, we help, help start a children's home in our area. Uh, we have a partner with local churches in, in the different states of the U.S. for that program. We would like to partner with churches. The information, I'm sure you will put it up there. So people will know how to contact us, but they can look for us. They can look for me on the uh, umcmission.org or Global Ministries as, as Willie Berman or Manos Juntas. Well, Willie, thank you so much for your time. We know that you're busy. We really appreciate you making the effort uh, to join us today. I'm so glad to have met you and to know that you are where you are and, and doing what you're doing 
So thank you for sharing a little bit of your story with us. And I'm excited that our listeners are going to get to learn uh, learn about you and about the work that you're doing there. And and a, a big thank you and a big hi to uh, our friends and my friends in the Louisiana conference. Uh, I, I hope you share this with them. They will have probably more questions and, and, and more memories than, than I can share with you. But uh, we're here. We're working hard. We're growing in our ministry. And it is because of the empowerment. Louisiana Conference empower us uh, tremendously throughout the years so we can be effective and, and, uh, and efficient in, in our ministry. Thank you. Now, I, I consider you as my friends. As, as as we should and thank you for for having me and and uh again uh willie berman in reynosa mexico saying hi to everybody it was our pleasure yes and as a gal who grew up uh every summer going to matamoros mexico uh and serving with the quakers there and the pastor there I have a, such a great appreciation for who you are, Willie, and everything that you do. So thank you so much for joining us on the Broken Banquet podcast today. Ashley, it was great to see you. Uh, Willie, it was wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much for being with us on the Broken Banquet podcast. Thank you. Bye, friends. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast. <laughs>